Right, as you can see, I'm not Pastor Wes. I get to fill in for him tonight. He's taking a much-needed and deserved vacation. So we pray that he unplugs and just has a chance to rejuvenate, spend some time with family, and um, come back ready to rock and roll and preach even faster. Now, I was worried I might preach fast tonight, I might teach tonight, teach fast tonight, because I just had some coffee, but y'all are used to Wes, so you'll be okay. Y'all can keep up just fine. He's, he's, he's broken you guys in that well. All right, uh, before we get started, I want to pray. And I just got a prayer request that Jan Kamick, she's a recent member. She actually just went through my new members class. And she's in the hospital right now because of a possible heart issue. Um, so I'm going to pray for her and pray as we kind of get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together and enjoy the benefits and the beauty of fellowship. You are our head, you are our Lord, you are our King, and you've enabled us to be able to enjoy this kind of trust, this kind of lifting up and joining of unity of spirit. God, we pray that as you teach us from your word today, that we would draw closer to you, we'd fall a little bit more in love with you, that our heart would beat a little more in line with how your heart beats for others and for ourselves. And we pray for Jan, whatever's going on with her in the hospital, God, we lift her up. You have the great power to heal and do whatever it might be in your power. So we lay her in your capable hands, and especially tonight as well. Praise in your holy name. Amen. So something that is near and dear to my heart is this idea of sanctifications. And we're going to unpack this a little bit. And the reason why this is... You know, if you don't know what that word is, I'll make sure to explain it. If you have a pen, you've got to keep that thing handy because we're going to burn the rubber today on the piece of paper, okay? So I can't tell you how many times in my years of doing youth ministry or young adult ministry or just church ministry whatsoever, someone has been incredibly discouraged. Like, why can't I just grow? I, I feel like I can't get any movement, can't get any traction in this idea of becoming more like Jesus and I want to be, but I just don't feel like I'm getting in there. I feel stuck. No matter how hard they try, keep falling into a life marked by disobedience. And what I constantly hear in these scenarios is, well, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to stop doing that thing. I'm going to start thinking more about this. Or and it, it sounds like, is this all on you to be better? It doesn't make any sense. So many times we inadvertently make it seem like, Becoming a Christian starts with grace. That's, I think, your first point. It starts with grace, but continues just by willpower alone. I mean, this can't be the case, right? It, just, it starts with grace, God works something in us, and then, okay, now it's on you, right? No. I think sometimes people who may not really fully understand what it means to follow Christ in the beginning of their faith or maybe they've just heard, hey, these are all the rules and things you can't do and don't, you know, need to do from here on out. It, it might feel like, okay, now it's about morals. It's about doing the right thing. And it's kind of putting the cart before the horse, right? And that's what I want us to kind of look at today when it comes to sanctification. Because what we don't want to do is put a burden on somebody else, a new burden. Jesus said, my yoke is light. It's easy. My burden is light. So we don't want to tell someone who's a new Christian, all right, here's all the things you need to do. And morality, sometimes morality can become the mode instead of the result. This, this life marked by deeds that resemble Jesus 
becomes things you think you're supposed to do instead of the result of Jesus working in you. Oh, hey. It got super dark. It wasn't me. Was that a hint? Like, okay, you're done. <laughs> oh, if it's twice. Blink twice if you're in trouble, right? All right. Um, and so morality is not the mode, right? Sometimes, especially in like Judaism, you'll hear this idea of just do the thing. Do the right thing, and the right thing will then do something to you. There's a little bit of truth to that. But as Christ followers, it's deeper. Morality is not the mode, it's the result. A moral life is not what we have to do, it's what ends up being what we do. And it seems like splitting hairs was more for that. You know, Jesus rescued us from the shackles of sin, and then sometimes we take on this heavy burden and this ill-fitted yoke of behavior modification. And what is behavior modification? I, I'm just going to modify my hate behavior. I'm just going to start changing the way I do things from day to day. You know, I'm just going to be more moral. I'm going to think more moral. I'm going to stop doing those things. And then it becomes about willpower, about mental gymnastics. And, it, and it's hard because as, as parents, we get heavy and deep into behavior modification with our kids. I mean, I, I'm there, guilty as charged all the time. Kids, I just want you to do the thing. I just want you to clean your room. I, I just want you to stop hitting your brother. I just, I just want you not to draw on the walls. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I just don't do the thing and do the thing we ask you to do, right? But what God, you know, as parents, the hard job is actually shepherding our kids' hearts, saying, this is why we want you to do this. This is why cleaning your room matters, because you need to take care of your stuff. You've lost who knows how many Legos, right? You need to respect mommy and daddy because we've asked you to do it in the first place. And if you learn how to respect mommy and daddy, then you learn what it means to respect and obey God. Okay, if you can't do this, then you're never going to be obey someone you can't see. And so shepherding our, the, the heart of it, of our children, is a lot harder, but it's a lot easier just to modify the behavior. So what is sanctification? And here's your definition. Ready? Sanctification is the growing process of becoming more like Christ, both inside and out. Okay? We're going to become more like Christ both on the inside, our attitudes, our desires, what our heart beats for, but also, obviously, the choices we make, our externalities. And sanctification is, is presented with many different layers, just like salvation in the Old Testament and New Testament is presented with many layers, many different metaphors unpacking. You just, you're justified, you're redeemed, right? And even the word salvation itself has rescue connotations. The word literally means to pull you out of peril, all right? You've been pulled out of peril as if you're drowning and Jesus pulled you up from the depths. So there's all these different layers and metaphors that made the idea of salvation so rich. The same is true for sanctification, the process after in which God makes us more and more like his son. And so what I'd like to do is look at some Bible verses. We're going to do a quick smattering of this. don't have a whole lot of time for this, but on each of your tables, I've put a Bible verse. Okay? On each of your tables, there is a Bible verse that has to do with sanctification. I'm going to give you till 620 to read your verse and talk amongst yourselves and figure out what is this verse telling us about this process of becoming more like Jesus. All right? We connotations from the word sanctify or sanctification. It can be 
ideas that are there presented to us, but I'm going to give you to 620, maybe 621, to read that verse amongst yourselves. Maybe want to read it out loud and discuss what is this passage saying about the process of becoming more like Jesus. Go. Start the clock. All right, it's 621, it's good to see y'all discussing, talking amongst yourselves, a little bit of interaction going on, that's a good thing. Very briefly, now I'm going to repeat back to whatever you say to me, so say it loudly so that those on Zoom can hear and I'll repeat it back to them so we can all hear. What are maybe some words or synonyms or ideas about sanctification that came up from your verses? I need y'all to be brave, I need you to be bold. Let's see some hands here real quick. Thomas. Okay, through the Holy Spirit. Okay, sanctification comes through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Joe. We can be sure. We can be sure. There's a surety there. We can have confidence that this will happen. Remember what Jesus said? Whatever he's, uh, sorry, the Apostle Paul said, whatever God begins, he finishes, right? I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Yeah. Perfected by one offering. Okay, so we have this language of the, the temple language of Jesus being the perfect offering. It's, he's going to perfect us, ultimately starting now and ending in heaven. All right? Uh, Logan, back there. Okay, he's going to do it through the Word of God, through truth. Not some kind of nebulous concept, but he's going to transform us and grow us like Christ through specific ideas and principles. Yeah. Um, right there. It is through Jesus and through Jesus alone. Anyone who tells you Jesus is just an option, right? Come on. That makes God pretty messed up, right? He allowed his son to be tortured in the worst way possible just to get through option 302B. Come on. No, it's only through his son, through his death and through Christ alone. Ted. It's built... Building something spiritually. Think about the construction job, right? You lay a foundation. Right? It's like your salvation, right? And then piece by piece takes time to build something. There's all different kind of components to it. It's intricate. It takes time. It takes someone, an architect, right? To know how to put it all together. He's building us up. Another great metaphorical language there. Yeah, Wayne. God changes you, know, you kind of still a bit of my thunder on this one. We're going to get to this, but God changes our desires from the inside out. Part of the process is changing, as one pastor said, our want to. You know, whenever we, before we're a Christian, we have all these want tos. I want to do this. I want to do this. This is important to me. When you choose to follow Christ, He's going to start to change your want to. So you want to do the right thing, right? Pretty cool. Anything else? Yeah, yeah. Isaac. Okay, language of holiness, honor, something that is respectable, something you look up to, that people say, wow, this person really mirrors a Jesus, someone worth looking up to when he's working in you. Holiness means to be set apart, right? If he's working in you and transforming you, it's for a specific purpose. Yeah, Bobby. Yes. 
So you've got several layers. There's idea that he's transforming you, but in the context of a church family, it's not something that's isolated. It's also this idea of inheritance because Jesus died through his will, so to speak. We inherit the Holy Spirit, which enables us to produce good works. He made us for this reason. He knows you better than you know yourself. So when he called you and transformed you, he had a purpose in mind for that. Not just you could like, ah, yeah, grace, I can just do whatever I want now. Scotch free. No. To produce good works for a purpose. Yeah. He chose us in him from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in him. Therefore, we can count on it. Amen, brother. We can, to repeat back, he chose us from the beginning of the world. God had a plan for our sanctification and process to become more like his son right from the very beginning, just like he did salvation, right? He knew what he was going to do in your life from the very beginning, and we can count that he is going to finish it. Very good. So we have lots of different components here and layers to what it means to be sanctified, to be made holy, to be made more into the likeness of Jesus. The passage that I'm going to land on today to really do some equipping today. I want to teach y'all how to explain sanctification to someone who might be new to the faith, to someone, either maybe a kid or youth or someone who's just recently come to know the Lord. Like, what do I do now? You are, everyone who is a disciple of Christ, guess what? I hate to break it to you, but you are a disciple maker. Disciples of Jesus make more disciples. It's no exception. Might be your grandkids, might be your own kids, might be your neighbor. Who knows what God is going to place in your life? Could be a coworker. Disciples of Jesus make more disciples. No exception. Okay? So the question is, is this a tool that will help you? I really believe it will. And so we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5 today. Chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. And I'm going to be using a Bible. I have not used this Bible in I don't know how long. I used to have an NSAB that I used in college, and I could not find it because I've been using the CSB for so long. But all my tools, study tools, are in the NSAB. But I found another copy of it, and this one was dedicated to me on the 29th day of August, 1988, by Mommy and Daddy. As Daniel enters first grade. So this was the Bible that was given to me as I entered first grade for the second time. <laughs> I, granted, I was five and a half when I started first grade. I went to a British boarding school in the mission field. And so my, when we went back to the States for when I was six, my parents were like, ah, maybe you should do first grade over again. Okay, let's do that. And so this, is a, this Bible has a little history here. What's cool, though, is it's actually published by Holman, the same group that actually Put together the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which became the Christian Standard Bible. So that's a little fun. All right. So before we get into it, I want to give a little bit of context. The tool that I'm going to give you is basically a one-verse method for how to explain the process of sanctification visually. But if we're going to look at this one verse, we need to understand this one verse in its context. Right? So who were the Galatians? Why did Paul write to them? Okay. So the church of Galatia was one of the first churches that Paul found it. It was from his first missionary journey. And so Paul had a long history with them, and he was able to say some things to them that were quite pointed, 
to be polite, um, quite direct, and a little bit in their face, okay? But they had a problem there. Some Judaizers had kind of crept amongst them and basically were telling the Gentiles, hey, to truly be saved, you must follow the Old Testament law as well. You must be circumcised. You must adhere to some of the, the festivals and rituals of the, of the law, the Levitical law. So they're adding a basically a works plus faith or faith plus works idea to salvation. So these Judaizers were really causing some serious issues. And the Apostle Paul was having none of it. Okay? He was... You have to understand, for the Apostle Paul, this must have hit really close to home. I mean, he, he was a Pharisee. I mean, he, he didn't say, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was like the Pharisees that people like, like my boots, you know? They wanted to like know everything about me and be in my presence. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. And for the Pharisees, following the law was everything. They characterized legalism. And so this really deeply matters to Paul because he firsthand experienced the dangerous and destructive nature of relying on works to save yourself and how alluring it is. It's incredibly alluring to think, hey, I can save myself. I can do these things and check off these boxes and boom, I'm done. There's a reason why Jehovah Witnesses do pretty well for themselves. Because they're told, if you do this, this, and that, you're going to heaven. Okay? Or, actually, it's kind of the reverse. If you don't do this, this, and that, then you're not going to heaven. And then, even then, it's kind of like, ah. Right? But it's a guaranteed no if you don't spend at least two years on your bicycle. Okay? Sorry, that was, that was a little low. But the allure is there. We want to know specifics. Grace is actually a foreign concept for sinful creatures. It feels unnatural. When someone wrongs us, what's our first instinct? They need to get what they deserve, right? I mean, deal with my kids. Brother hit sister. What's their first inclination to do? To hit them back. Well, they hit me first, right? That's how we think about stuff. Well, despite grace being an unnatural thing for sinful people, it is a supernatural work of God. And that's why it matters so significantly so. So the primary message of Galatians, though, keeping in mind this idea of the Judaizers, um, in fact, kind of going back to that a little bit, <laughs> the Apostle Paul called them deserters of the faith. I mean, you look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, he says, you deserters of the faith. I mean, ugh, that's, that's a tough language, right? You deserters of the faith. And even in the last section, this is what gets me, okay? This is, this is really funny. Not funny, given the circumstances, but just imagine this. The Apostle Paul, he didn't like, physically write a lot of his letters. He'd have a scribe or someone he'd dictate it and someone else would write it for him. And then the very last section of Galatians, in the end of Galatians chapter 6, he writes, he says, I am now writing this portion with my own hands. Like he took the, the quill or whatever it was out of the scribe's hands and I'm writing this portion with my own hands, so you can see it's my own handwriting, and I'm writing in very big letters. Okay, so you can see this matters. This is a big deal. And it's like Paul invented the all caps text message. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's all caps, right? This is a big deal. This matters significantly so, and he was calling them out. And um, 
It's very personal for Paul. Okay, so the primary message of Galatians is this idea of we are saved by grace through faith. Okay, saved by grace through faith, not by works. Our flesh is broken. In other words, hey, we're not perfect. We don't start out perfect. And we have inclinations and desires that are out of whack. Uh, we have baggage. We have emotions that are un, unkempt, untethered at times. Um, this, the power is in the spirit. So our flesh is broken. The power is in the spirit. Human effort alone cannot produce spiritual fruit, right? And that, these are kind of the, message, the messages of the book of Galatians. And so he's really confronting legalism. Okay, that you can produce your own fruit. It, you can save yourself. And so here's your definition of legalism. Okay? By doing good works or by obeying the law, a person earns and merits salvation. Yeah, definition again. A definition of legalism, also known as nominism. Or nomism, I should say. I had an extra syllable in there. Nomism or legalism. By doing good works or by obeying the law, a person earns and merits salvation. Okay? And here's the thing. Most people who get, we use the word very differently, colloquially, right? We say, oh, you're being very legalistic. When we tell someone they're being legalistic, we're not literally meaning, hey, you think by doing these things you're going to save yourself and you don't need the grace of God. Our colloquial use of of legalism is, is more in tune to someone ignoring the spirit of the law. Getting so focused on doing the rules and obeying a rule and forgetting why the rule or the law was there in the first place. Or who the lawmaker is. Some people get so hung up over the rules and the, the ideas, the things we're supposed to do, they forget why we're doing them. It's for Jesus. Right? It's to follow Jesus. And so... Uh, the colloquial use is ignoring the spirit, the law, and this lawgiver. All right, so there's multiple uses of that word. All right, well, let's actually read this passage in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. And as I read through, I'm going to make a couple observations. You can write those down in the space it's given to you if you like. So here we go. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, this is the verse we're going to home in on for our like, one-verse method on what sanctification is. Um, we're going to continue reading. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The Apostle Paul is describing this inner war, this inner battle that we all have to deal with, our broken mind, our broken bodies, our broken desires, but yet God has started a new creation that is at war with this. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul describes this in the, probably the most confusing passage in the entire Bible. Why do I do what I don't want to do, and I do what I do, and then I'm going to do the thing, with it, but not the thing, and praise be the glory to God who rescued this wretch, right? Romans chapter 7 perfectly captures how difficult it be to be in this battle. And so, and you look at verse 18, you know, it's almost like he's implying, all right, you want to be under the law? Fine. Then you get everything that comes with it. You want to live according to the law? Then you're judged by the law. And trust me, you don't want to be judged by the law because no one can keep it. It's like the, uh, from Aladdin, right? 
<laughs> it's like in Aladdin where Aladdin tricks Jafar into becoming a genie. It's like, all right, and then you get everything that comes with it. It's like, what? And all of a sudden shackles appear on his wrists. All this power yet still contained in an itty bitty little space. Okay? You want to be under the law? Fine. Then you get everything else that comes with it. Okay. Let's keep reading in verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, every envying, drunkenness, cruising, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I know that's, that verse needs a lot of unpacking, but we're not going to camp out on that today. Okay? Um, but, the, so we get this contrast. That's what someone who is not pursuing God looks like. This is what someone who is truly following Jesus looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right? So we have this contrast between what a Christ follower looks like and what he, they do not look like. And look at verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Put to death whatever is worldly. The Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 11 mirrors this, this exact idea. Don't mess around with sin. Don't be like, oh, it's cute. No, it's not your plaything. It is dangerous. Put it to death. It belongs on the cross where Jesus died to pay for it. Put it to death. There is no middle ground on it. It belongs on the cross. I remember one of the most, it, I think so many youth groups have done it so many times at this point, maybe lost some of its meaning, but I always thought it was kind of cool. At a retreat, you might have a gigantic cross, and then whatever sin you're really struggling with, you feel like you need forgiveness for, write down a piece of paper and physically nail it to the cross. Jesus paid for it. It cost him something. Leave it there. Don't take it back. Put it to death. Let it die. Experience the life. Experience the resurrection that he has for you. And then closing out in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. All right? So we're going to close out on that verse there as we move along. So salvation, in verse 25, we see both salvation and sanctification in the same breath. If we live by the Spirit, in other words, you've been raised to life. The Apostle Paul said, I was dead in my sin. Through Jesus Christ's resurrection, that I'm alive. So if we live brought alive by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So the walking is the connotation of sanctification, back in verse 16. Right, so if you've raised to life by the Spirit, now live by Him. It doesn't start by the Spirit and end in just the law or good works. Okay, so let's hone in on verse 16. Now, before I get to the method I want to pack with you guys, I have 20 minutes. Look at this. We're doing good. My, my words per minute aren't, aren't hopefully too much. I know. We will get to draw pictures today. I promise. Okay, I've got the whiteboard. We will get to draw pictures. It'll be fun. So there's two words that really stand out in 
chapter 5, verse 16. That is the word walk and the word desire. Why choose a word like walk? It's metaphorical. It's figurative. He's not saying literally, hey, you physically walk in something called the Spirit. No, it's, it's using something that we're familiar with to describe a process, right? So, the word that's used in this verse for walk is the Greek word peripateo, okay? Peripateo. And I have, I think, that I, in your notes, did I list all the Strong's numbers? No, I didn't. I, I have that in my deal. If you want the Strong's numbers, in other words, do your own word digging on this afterwards, I got them for you, okay? Yes, Colin. Uh, if you want the Strong's numbers for these Greek words, I'll hook you up, okay? Yes, it is. It is 4043. Thank you. Uh, yes, it's, uh, if you use your concordance and all that kind of thing, it would be useful for that. So, peripatia basically means, it means to walk. But think about the English language. How many different kinds of words do we have for walking? We have saunter, right? We have wandering. We have hiking. We have marching. We have strolling, right? What else do we have? What other words do we have for walk? Mosing, the Texas one, meandering, right? What are the words we have for walk? What was that? Tread, yes. And what's interesting is this word here, actually the Greek word, so it's, it's, it's a combination of two words, right? So peri basically means concerning, around. In other words, something that revolves around this place or ideas where we, we still use um, that prefix in the English language for like periscope perimeter, okay, or um, peripheral, so peri, okay, peripateo. And then pateo means to tread or to trod. It's this very forceful kind of language. It's, it has this wine press um, connotations of it. In fact, when we see this word used elsewhere, it's referring to Jesus the conqueror in Revelations. He's going to tread on his enemies, this forcefulness to it. And it also the judgment on Satan is also used, as, uses, this word is used to describe what's going to happen to him. The root word for this actually implies that there's a path. Like it's not just meandering or whatever, just like an actual, there's a trail intended for this kind of walk. And so why use this, this figurative language for this kind of walk? Well, it implies direction, okay, it implies a destination or goal or purpose. When you talk about a walk, well, you typically are walking somewhere, right? Unless one of us is preaching, then we're just, we're just walking because that's how we think, you know? I got I to gotta be moving when I'm, when I'm thinking. Um, maybe we're just walking because we're on a phone call and we got we to gotta move when we're, we're talking, whatever it might be, get the juices flowing. Uh, you could be walking your dog, you could be going on a hike, you could be trying to get somewhere, you could be at the shopping mall, whatever it might be. Typically, you walk, you're trying to go somewhere, you have a goal in mind or a purpose. Also, walking requires effort and choice. You must choose to walk. Someone can't make you walk, all right? You must put one leg in front of the other. It is a little bit of effort, but the Apostle Paul doesn't say run. He says walk. Now, there's other passages he talks about running the race set before him, but that is an analogy used for a totally different implication. But he uses the word walk. I mean, you got gravity helping you with walk. You just kind of fall into the next foot. This movement. Gravity kind of helping you along. It's also an everyday occurrence. Every day we walk. 
Every day, it's part of our daily existence. You must walk to the car, you must walk out of the house. Now for some people, walking actually has gotten a lot more difficult, right? Or maybe you're in a wheelchair or you cannot even walk and you wish you could. You wish it was part of your everyday experience, right? But for most people, we, walking is, we don't even think about it, we just do it. You know, if you ever seen the movie Wall-E, if you arrive with Disney references today, but hey, Wall-E in the future, human beings are so lazy, they don't ever walk. They just sit in their chairs in space all day long, and as a result, they have like almost no bones, and they, can't even, they physically can't even walk anywhere other, on their own. And then the final scene, like this guy has to like fight with this evil robot, and it's a big deal just from like standing on his two legs and take this thing out, okay? When we don't walk, it's not good for us, right? It's a part of a healthy day. Healthy societies, they walk a lot. When I was a kid, growing up in Japan, we walked everywhere. We bicycled everywhere. Okay, moving on. Uh, so the other words that's used for walk later on the passage is socheo, okay? Socheo. Um, and it looks like stoichio, but the pronunciation is got some guttural in it. It's socheo. Means to walk orderly and march or to follow. So it uses a different Greek word for walk in verses, let's see, uh, 25 and also in chapter 6, verse 16. All right, adding another layer to this walk metaphor, how we should live. And this walk denotes a march. There's this order. Like, hey, you're almost like a soldier on a mission going somewhere. You're walking in a line using a different word, adding more to this idea of walking in the spirit. So the first word that's used is very kind of forceful. This matters. Pay attention. And then the next word that's used is this idea of, yes, there is some order to this. Yes, there is not this willy-nilly idea of following Jesus. And so um, I think you know, the Apostle Paul is saying, yes, we're not saved by the law. That does not mean following Jesus is a free-for-all. Okay? It's not just grace abuse or just do whatever you want to. Galatians chapter 6, verse 16 tells us to walk by this rule. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 16. It says this. Uh, here we go. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel God. And that rule is being a new creation. All right? The rule. Walk by this idea. You are a new creation. Order your life around this idea. So different ways to look at this. And lastly, the word for desire translated here is epithuma which literally means desires, lust, impulsiveness. It comes from the Greek word epithumeo, which means is oftentimes translated as coveting, craving, longing. It's built up of two different words, epi, which means over or further, okay? And thumos, which means passion, anger, or wrath, this intense feeling or emotion that's gone over what it should be. In fact, it's the same word kind of related to another word, thuela, which means a whirlwind, okay? oftentimes translated as to rage or deceive. So these desires of the flesh, they are wants, they are passions that have gone unchecked. They're dangerous. They're going to hurt us or hurt somebody else. It's impulsive behavior that is destructive. It's untethered to something that's going to protect them. And so walk and desire... Now, these are big words. I'm kind of wrapping up some of this uh, word study stuff, kind of bring it all together. Walking in the Spirit, see big ideas, small words in your notes. 
walking in the Spirit means to follow the path of Christ. Right, we're going to take all these words together and kind of help us understand this passage. Walking in the Spirit means to follow the path of Christ and to order our daily life, order our daily life in such a way that the Holy Spirit has room to gradually change our desires to match Christ's. Okay? If we look at these words, it helps us understand this passage. Walking in the Spirit means to follow the path of Christ and to order our daily life in such a way that the Holy Spirit has room, permission, to gradually change our desires to match Christ. Many times our lives are just a little too busy for the Holy Spirit to work because we're not giving Him time. We're not giving Him space. Our hearts are full of other things. Our passions are preoccupied with other things. and We're not giving Him much room in our heart to move. Okay. Now that we understand the context and this verse in its fullness, let's look at the method. The time you've all been waiting for, we got 11 minutes to draw pictures. You ready? Okay. Let me bust out my markers here, and we're going to try and do this fairly quickly and see how this goes. All right. First of all, you are going to draw a boat. Specifically, you in a boat. Not a U-boat. These smart Alex out there. You in a boat. Okay? So let's draw. I'm going to try and draw as big as I can here. Don't judge my drawing. Wow, that was very squeaky. Okay. All right, we got a boat. And then I'm standing on the boat for some reason. It's not a surfboard. That's me in the boat. Okay? Draw you in a boat. Next, I would like you to draw water. Water. Boats go in water. Do you know that? I know. I'm teaching you all kinds of amazing things tonight. Boats, draw some water. Now, whichever boat you're, you know, originally in my notes said make the arrow point left, but I don't know which direction your boat's pointing. So whatever direction your boat is facing, this is the bow for mine, all right, it's going this way. I'm gonna draw an arrow the opposite direction of the bow, going against the direction I want to go, okay? There is a current. I want to go this way, but there's a current in the water pulling me away from the direction I would like to go. This current is our flesh. You can write that down if you want. This current Pulling us back is our flesh. And our inclination, our inclination is to do this. Oh, man, that's a strong current. If you get stuck in a strong current, what do you, what do you want to do first? Row, right? As fast as you can. You got to get away from this. Okay? It looks like I'm riding a gondola in, in Vienna there. Maybe just make it look like Fabio or something, singing sweet songs. I wish I had hair like that. It's only been 20 years since I had hair like that. Not, not uh, that bitter or anything. Okay, so this current of our flesh is pulling us away from the direction of Christ that we'd like to go. I'll try not to stand in it for those you can see. So that is the challenge, right? And what we tend to want to do is put an oar in the water and do it ourselves. What happens if you start oaring on one side of a boat? You go in circles. You're not going to go anywhere, right? You start doing your own strength, you start going nowhere, but you're just going in circles. There's a reason why it's called the Christian walk and not the Christian hop. I'm going to get to that in a minute, okay? We go in circles. Now, to quote, for those of you taking my new members class, you know I mention this sometimes, 
to, let's see, which one should I use? Uh, let's, let's use blue. To quote the great theologian Carrie Underwood, Carrie Underwood, Jesus take the wheel. All right? At the helm. Jesus should be there. He's our captain. Captain, oh, my captain. Well, if we're in a boat, we need to know where we're heading and where we're supposed to go. Right? Jesus needs to be at the helm. There needs to be a submission of direction there. Now, if we have a direction, and we're not supposed to be doing it in our own strength, then what should we do? What does this boat need to move forward? What? Paddling? Okay, well, we're not getting very far paddling ourselves. We need a motor, some kind of drive. Sails, right? We need some sails. Let's use, let's use green. Let's do that. Then we got green sails for some reason. All right, green sails. All right, we got green sails. Now, what do sails harness? Wind. You guys are so smart. Wow. Man, y'all paid attention in science class. I'm not being facetious at all. All right, here. Wind. Power of sails. Thank you. It's been great. The Holy Spirit is our power. So the question is, if we're not supposed to oar, we're supposed to harness the wind, what are the sails? How do we harness the power of the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus? Well, the answer is one that's very, very unpopular, and that is spiritual disciplines. How the, the sails must hoist is not rote obedience. It's not being more moral. It's not just, I'm going to do the thing. It is spiritual disciplines. And there is a difference. Spiritual disciplines are concerned with positioning yourself near Jesus. Okay? Spiritual disciplines are about being near Christ, about posturing yourself near Christ, about submission. It's different than just trying to be moral. Uh, if you want to read a really good book about this, some of the young adults have heard me talk about this, is a book called Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. It is an excellent book. And it'll really, really challenge you. Okay, <clears throat> so what are the spiritual disciplines? Scripture. It seems like a no-brainer. You should be reading the Bible. Reading. Also studying, going deep dives into it. Not setting for shallow things or just reading it as a road, but also memorization. We must memorize Scripture. Let's become part of something that's digested and it become who we are. Fellowship. You can't grow to become more like Christ unless you hang out with God's people. It's very simple. Accountability. Within fellowship, you will find accountability. You can find opportunities to serve one another. Some people might say, well, I don't have a heart for service. So I'm going to wait until God gives me a heart to serve. No. Serve. And by obeying, by Dedicating yourself to that, God's going to work in it. The Holy Spirit's going to move in that and transform you from the inside and develop a heart for service. And celebration. Celebrate what God has done together. We're going to be celebrating our 50th anniversary here soon. God has done some amazing things in 50 years of this church. And we're going to celebrate that. Fasting. Now this one's a hard one for me. We don't talk about this much in Baptist circles, so let's face it, every event we have has food. It's not a Baptist function unless it's the potluck of this food. Hey, half my ministry philosophy of young adults is if you feed them, they will come. Okay? Right? Just, right? right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> fasting. But it's not just food. That's always a struggle for me. 
I, I like to eat. You don't want to know, I'm like a walking Snickers commercial. You don't want to know me <laughs> when I'm hungry or super hangry. And I get super antsy. Um, my blood sugar gets really low. But we can fast from other things, things that distract us from God, things that enable us to draw closer to Him, right? There's other things we can fast from. There's principles there for listening. Prayer, talking to God, but not just talking, but also listening. Actually practicing being silent. Silence is at a premium in our culture today. It is. And this is one I struggle with big time. I need silence. I mean, in our house, if it's quiet, it's either terrifying because the kids are up to something no good. <laughs> I'm worried the house is going to burn down in five seconds. Or it's like, ah, oh, they're asleep. <laughs> and you can actually have some just downtime just to think and have an actual real meaningful conversation with your wife. Um, but to be, be silent and just to listen. Generosity, practicing this. Well, you know, I don't want to just give until I feel like it. No, give and the Spirit moves through this, right? Give of your treasure and your time. See, when we trust the Spirit will move in our dedication in these areas. When we are dedicated in these particular areas, He will move. He will transform us from the inside out. When we hoist the sails of spiritual discipline, our desires are transformed. This is different than rote morality. This is different than just, I'm just going to be better. It's about positioning ourselves. When we do this, our desires are transformed. He changes our want to. And the cool thing is that the fruit of the Spirit becomes our natural reward and result. I think it's in your notes here. When we do this, the fruit of the Spirit is our natural reward and result. Sometimes we put the cart before the horse. No, God says, be with me. Spend time with me. I'll rub off on you. My spirit will transform from the inside out. When you engage in my word, when you talk to me, when you serve, when you do these things, the morality will be produced. The good works will be produced when you spend time with Jesus. And so the Christian walk is simply this. Trust and obey. You've heard this on trust and obey, right? Now, when we hear this, we think, okay, I have to trust and I have to also obey. Kind of. Kind of. It's, I trust that these disciplines are worth doing. I trust that these disciplines are worth doing. Okay, I'm going to choose to dedicate myself to them. And obedience will follow. Okay, as I trust that these dedication and dedicate myself to these spiritual disciplines, obedience will be naturally produced. As I trust, obedience comes. And then when I obey a little bit more, I'm going to trust a little bit more. And more obedience is fulfilled. It's this tandem walk, trust, and obey. As I trust God by ordering my life around Him, I know He will produce obedience in my life. So if I order my life around when He says, this matters, obedience will follow. I can take that to the bank. I am going to close things out. Look at that, right on the dot. It is almost 7 o'clock. But to conclude, I'm going to leave you all with this. Okay, God is doing something in your life. No matter where you are in your walk, no matter how old you are, how young you are, God has started to move in you and work in you. Our story begins by a supernatural work. It is a supernatural thing to have faith and trust in Jesus. When we trust and have faith in Him, the Holy Spirit is moving in that decision. 
He's drawing him closer to us. We can't even see the goodness of God without the Holy Spirit being involved even in that. How that works is a mystery. We don't know. But our story begins by a supernatural work, and it continues. Your story continues by the Holy Spirit's power. And we can take confidence in that when we engage in the kinds of order in our life and the kind of walk he has for us. So walk by the Spirit, hoist those sails. And if you want to explain what it looks like to someone who's new in the faith, use this illustration. It'll help them. Now, I didn't come up with this on my own. I got to get credit where credit is due. I heard it from a professor when I was in college by the name of Bill Jones. He was actually the president of my college, uh, Columbia International University, for a while, too, after that. But this was eye-opening for me when I was in college. It, it was helpful to have a... Some people just need a visual to understand things. So hopefully this tool is on your tool belt. Hopefully it was encouraging for you. Hopefully you can also use it to help disciple somebody else. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you that you took the time to eat, sleep, and walk with 12 squirrely disciples. And you were patient with them. You poured your life into them. And then you gave them quite an extraordinary mission to make more of them to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit to do extraordinary things, to be brave, to be bold, and to become more like you. And they were so worried that when you left, they'd be by themselves. They said, no, my spirit will be there to guide you and empower you. God, forgive us for taking the reins and trying to do this on our own. God, we ask that you renew us, renew our souls. Let us draw closer to you. Let us just sit in silence and enjoy the beauty and majesty of who you are and let you direct our thoughts upon things we never would have thought about unless we had engaged in that discipline of being with you. May you ever rub off on us as we continue to grow until the day you call us home. Praise in your holy name. Amen.